You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. Happy New Year! Though this week's The Razor's Edge touches on what may not be the happiest start for people investing in software names or tech more generally. So, what's going on in the markets? And is the first week a shift in the tides or just a continuation of what we saw in 2021? What can we learn from SaaS history and from other sectors about cycles and getting factors right? And what's looking interesting in the market now? Akram and I break down in this episode, which we recorded Friday morning. For this week's disclosure, I'm long VMW, Dell, DBX, Twitter, and Booking, and Akram is long Zoom, Booking, Boeing, and Short Twilio. As you might have heard on other podcasts, Spotify now allows you to rate podcasts, so if you're so inclined, we'd appreciate a rating. All right, let's get rolling. Akram, uh, Happy New Year. How are you doing? Happy New Year. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We're recording this on the last, on the last day of the first week of the year, so probably about the statute of limitations for that. As we're recording Friday mid-morning, markets, the NASDAQ is down a percent. I think they rose a little bit this morning and dropped. It's been a week. The, week, the year is going to start off in the red in all likelihood, unless the S&P really rallies. All the major indices will be down. And it's to share my take, we, there's been a lot of talk out there. And we've talked a few times about, you know, is this when we're rotating out of tech? Is this when SaaS names and high growth names are finally, as a category, unappealing? And I think there is a little bit of a feeling of, like, the the meme of the guy celebrating being the third place winner with a lot of the value type investors jumping on this move. But the, like this just seems to be an extension of the second half of last year, right? Like a lot of the a lot of the names that we've talked about so much, the Zooms, the Pelotons, the DocuSigns have been reset. So even if the market is close to all-time highs, like there's a lot of resetting going on underneath. And so so far, it seems, you know, the Fed is going to be acting more quickly. Maybe that's 
driving things on the margin, but it seems to me like we're still, it doesn't, you know, and this is obviously was the whole, the end of the year is arbitrary. It was just a change of the week, whatever, but it does feel like we had sort of a pleasant, no resistance end of the year rally. And now we're back into the playbook of 2021 where things are shifting, where people are repositioning towards an environment where growth is not so obvious a winner, both in terms of the rate environment and that we don't know how much these companies are going to grow in the years ahead. Um, so what do you, what do you think? What do you, what's your takeaway from the start of the year and what's in store for us in the weeks and months ahead? I mean, uh, yeah, I think you kind of summed it up. Uh, we've kind of been in this, let's say that this started uh, end of summer. And it's, you know, it's had its, there was enough of it that went on, let's call it September, between August and like October, where there was still some growth names, COVID winners, let's call them, accelerants, technology, uh, this is the software sector, where people uh, crowded in and you kind of had divergence, right? With like a, a, a smaller and smaller bunch of winners that got piled onto for a stretch. And uh, you got kind of like a gap, you know, between the uh, everything win in what's called software, for one example. I mean, not just the online media and whatnot, but uh, we want to like basically this perception that uh, there was, you know, clear losers and some winners that were just a class above everything else. And that kind of turned into an even wider spread, right? What are what are some of the names you have in mind when you're talking about the clear winners who sort of I'm set? saying like so if you want to say like from I mean like you know names like Roku and Snapchat and Pinterest and Twitter, et cetera. Or you could say, you know, peak earlier. There was a lot of names in software, you know, that kind of started rolling over earlier on. And we're having mediocre let's say uh, 2021 before you went into this kind of like mania of like monday.com and Asana and Cloudflare and CrowdStrike and let's call it the uh, uh, MongoDB. Some of the infrastructure SaaS that had this like, we can say added spike you know this at the same time that you were having stuff like in the fintech space like upstart and affirm and these things go crazy so you kind of had this like uh late 2021 uh concentrated rally in, in a couple of areas you want to call it like the 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 last uh frenzy of uh, the mania i mean like we went through all the 
SPACs and the shit codes and the overpriced IPOs uh, and things that had kind of rolled over progressively. And then you actually did kind of get to like quality stuff, right? Like, I mean, I'd say these social networks uh, uh, were, I mean, are a uh, quality group of, of names, even, you know, things like Roku uh, that kind of got taken to the woodshed and people just kind of started coming up with, you know, explanations for why X, Y, and Z is falling while, you know, uh, Cloudflare is bubbling, right? Right. So a big gap, per se. But and you th- you think the gap is a set was a set like I the, another name I was thinking about was Datadog, which seemed you know was one of the rare big winners. Yeah, that's in the category. I mean, that's there with with CrowdStrike and Mongo yeah. and I mean Confluent and Atlassian. Those names have essentially traded lockstep together, right? And when I look at them, particularly at this like this week, I mean. They've almost they've traded like one stock, right? Right. So yeah, I mean, the, the, I'd say that like, look, it wasn't patently obvious that uh, you'd end up here, but like breadth got worse and worse, and that you know, we talked about this last time it kind of exacerbates when you get into a situation like this. Right, like there's actually more crowding into uh, the winners right before things kind of roll over. So, like that kind of creates that la- like you know last surge and concerted names. Well, it's sort of like I mean, it's the old musical chairs line, I guess. Right, like you're just trying to sort of not by any one puppet master, but just market sentiment sentiment if you're chasing momentum that momentum just gets concentrated in a few places just hope that it yeah will. one breaks you move another one breaks you move and like you know the, the last ones to break end up having you know the most egregious setups uh right before everyone heads for the door and then you kind of you, you mean revert pretty quickly. But like, I mean, I'd say we, we, like we've had this theme of pretty clear news that like you're slowing down in, in some places from the COVID days, right? Whether it was Toyo's organic growth rate, you know, the Peloton, the Peloton fiasco, uh, you know, Zoom throughout all this, you know, it hasn't warned, but you know, consensus around it has just gotten worse and worse, right? Where it's just like, all right, you know, we, we don't know what you're going to grow at in the future. Uh, and maybe you compound for 20% uh, for years to come. But for at least the next six months, uh, we don't think you're growing at all. Right? Like, is it slightly negative? You know, uh, slightly positive sequentially, who knows? But consensus seems to be around flat, and then kind of things picking back up again after this, you know, 
but kind of the timing of the slowdown, right? I mean, that was one thing you got in that first Zoom call, not the second one. Uh, the let's call it the August one, where they're just like, you know, think the the pace of the slowdown, you know, happened a little earlier than we expected. You know, the stock was still trading over 300 then, right? But then the following quarter, which was totally in line and there was really no surprises, right? Like it got, you know, uh, whacked uh, uh, on, on that guide, like, you know, after Peloton's fiasco and uh, a good month after, you know, Twilio had dropped whatever, 30% on earnings. We've talked about the challenges of forecasting or like not the challenge of forecasting growth. You just said the market sort of, but the whole pricing in of future growth is really what drives these names. So how much of you think what's going on right now is a response to the market finally waking up to all of these different clues and repricing everything? And how much of it is the Fed and the lurking taper rate hikes like is this just a repeat of i don't know 2018 to me felt a little bit that sell-off felt a little bit yeah, of 2018 a, wasn't really as bad in growth stocks right and like 2018 was bad in like bang and uh uh like financials and you know stuff like costco and it was very let's call it it was very more large large cap driven Semiconductors, which have, let's just be honest, held up really well uh, throughout the cycle. I mean, I'm sure their day will come. But uh, like the chip space obviously got hammered at the end of 18. Uh, I, I feel, I mean, just going back on it, the SaaS space actually had held up the best. I mean, I remember uh, having just like some small SaaS short trades like near the end, right? Like, before I went long, because I felt like everything else was kind of really played out and uh, on the short side, and you know, like that's where I was, you know, was like, you know buying Goldman and Costco and and uh, Facebook and you know Tencent and shit like that. Then uh, at at the end of December for like a trade setup. Uh, but there were some software names where I felt like they could go lower and they really didn't. And then they kind of, you know, they started getting going and you had that 2000, like that front half of 2019, which was really good in that sector. And then that kind of flipped, right? Like we would call it like a mini IPO bubble uh, that we, that we had in uh in the spring, early summer of 19. I mean, I was just looking at some of these names and the prices. Uh, we've discussed Zoom, but like, uh, and I just looked at the, the software names that I bought at the end of 19. Uh, and it was like Zoom, you know, Workday, Salesforce, and Twilio. And what paid for all of them. And where are they all trade today, right? And just on a 
on an EV to sales basis. And I mean, they're all slightly, I mean, other than Zoom, which is, I'd say, a unique situation, because if it, like, it obviously grew like a weed. Uh, the rest of the names are still at higher multiples. I mean, not so much so anymore, but I mean, I mean, Workday is, you know, 25% above where it was then on an EV to sales basis. And, you know, the trailing growth was, has gone from 30 to 20%, right? Salesforce, same category, probably 10% higher. Uh, the trailing organic growth is probably down, you know, uh, from like 24% to let's call it 20, maybe, maybe high teens on the organic. Twilio, which was kind of, you know, I, at that time I felt the bargain, right? Still kind of uh, half, half the sales multiple then. I mean, like it's down to, let's call it 14, 15 times trailing now uh versus eight times then and you know roughly same growth rates right so they grew like you know a little bit over 40 uh in 19 and they gave you a guide of like you know organic growth uh of, you know 30 a little over 30 percent what the sweet most recent quarter they're like 38 and you know, they're still talking about that the long-term 30% guide. So, I mean, the stock is not triple, but it's almost triple. I mean, a little bit more than double. Call it 150% return in that time frame. Right. Although the people who've been in it the last six months, it feels like a, it probably feels like a, a disaster, right? I mean, the, you know, I mean, I did the, that whole piece and, and on, you know, the price you pay and like just looking, like all you can do is look backwards for these kind of historical indications uh, of what being an owner over an extended time period, and, and let's call an extended time period, a 10-year cycle, right? Because these things tend to go in 10-year cycles, right? So whether you're owning uh, the software giants of, of the 90s who became the you know, legacy software companies, the boring established companies of the 2000s, you know, who either consolidated, bought things, and you know, did not grow the way they did for the previous decade. And then were viewed as kind of the legacy names, although let's argue most of them transformed, you know, into cloud. Uh, but they're the legacy names of the early 2010 cycle. Uh, it's called 2010 to 2014. Uh, as, uh, you know, the transition to cloud started to ramp up. And then, you know, let's call it from like, you know, 16 to uh, today, you know, like the, uh, you know, the exciting companies of the era, right? The application software. Yeah, the leaders, 
Boom. You know, the disruptors, the leaders, the, you know, the, the, the 2015's versions of Oracle and Microsoft and Adobe and whatnot of the early 90s. So where does that, does, is your po- point that we're sort of on the sort of back end of that period, like with this excitement and it's been revved up, obviously, for everything we've talked about for the last well, two Some people like, want to think that like, you know, that this just goes on for forever, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, I'm not bringing anything new to the table. I'm just looking at history, right? So. I think history tells you that there's like, you know, these 10 year windows, like it starts out with you buying, uh, having the opportunity to buy service now at IPO uh, with like, you know, hundred million revenue run rate, 120 million revenue run rate, growing, uh, growing a hundred percent. Right. And on the first day of trading, you know, in early 2012, you can buy it for 12 times sales, right? And 10 years later, after it's caggered at, you know, over 40% uh, for the stock and close to 50% for revenue, right? You're buying uh, Snowflake for the same enterprise value of service now with, you know, five to 10% of the revenue. And, on the first day of trading, right? Not to say anything, I mean, they're different businesses and, and whatnot, but like with the same, the same narrative around these things, right? Like the ServiceNow CEO is the genius who's, you know, excited you about buying Snowflake on day one, right? Because he turned ServiceNow into what it is. You're going with a winner, right? You're going with a winner has proven it. Look, he did this with ServiceNow. But like, you don't sit there and think, okay, I'm, I'm paying for ServiceNow, the entire enterprise value, you know, 120, 130 billion. That, you know, whatever it was right when it came out of the gate, the trailing is probably 500 million, right? That's probably, isn't that a little bit like, just the investing style. And we've talked about narrative in the past, but I'm just thinking when you say that, having I jumped, listened into a couple of your spaces this week or last. And so on the growth investors, you know, I think we talk about that a lot and playing a theme and I've got my software bucket and it's all sort of the same trade in a bunch of different hats. But then on the value side too, there are a lot of people who are like, you know, like what does Snowflake even do? And there's like a, they just see multiple and assume bad. And so I, I wonder that maybe it's that the people who are actually, as we're shaking out and shifting from a narrative thematic driven long stretch, I mean, before the pandemic, I would say, and as we're shifting from that, at least for an air pocket, if not longer to a period where A, the growth isn't as obvious and B, the numbers are mattering a little more, like it's you know, they talk a lot about they you will hear in the market investors talking about the it doesn't have a natural investor base because it's not a growth name, but it's not a value name sort of thing. And I wonder if that's also 
in a sense of we're shifting from a narrative and as the narrative is getting less attractive. And so then yeah, it was, I mean, you know, I don't like to put things in buckets. I'd say that there's a cadre of investors in the growth side. And we saw this just a few months ago, right? I mean, you know, I asked one person, uh, like, I, you know, I cautioned one person on Twitter about, like, I'm not criticizing X, Y, and Z as a business, uh, but 100 times sales is, is a problem. And the guy had responded with, you know, valuation is not a thesis. Right, I'm not going to sell a stock on valuation, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And and my response was like, "All right, if not a hundred times sales, would would you be would you pay a thousand times sales? Would that change your, your opinion?" Right, like you can have these conversations, and it's not hard. The I mean, there's obviously some people have done extremely well over the last decade who've been long only and 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 focused in this space okay and some of them i say like to take the viewpoint that like anyone who shorted these names like i I mean i've shorted most of these software names uh multiple times in the cycle right you know for the since 2010 okay and of course, if you had just bought them and done nothing, you would have done great. In fact, I probably would have done way better uh, just buying uh, Microsoft and Adobe in the same cycle, right? But in general, just being long has worked fantastic. I mean, there's there's been a trend. Uh, they, as that you would expect them to be, would be cheap in the beginning. But like, there's this perception that with the SaaS uh that people who were you know at times bearish or skeptical whatever you want to call it were 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 myopically focused on valuation and that's just not the case right i mean we discussed this on one space with um some of the guys who had shorted service now and like the amount of customer calls they did and you know how they came back with we're not switching off bmc and you know, the general evolution between, like there was a two-year window, right, where things tipped over, right? So like if you talk to people uh, in late 2012, they would have told you no. And then like by 2014, a lot of them caved, right? Now, I, I, I saw that firsthand with Viva, right? That was, you know, and I've used that example in the past, but like, I mean... Yeah, I came out of the gate at a really high multiple and those very clear TAM questions. And those TAM questions with respect to the, the CRM have, have proven so accurate over 10 years. I mean, it's, it's undeniable at this point. But there were, despite those questions, like you, you, you were doing work and you like pharma's top heavy, you know, vertical. So, I mean, it was very important to know, like the seats were, were set up in very specific spaces or places, right? So if like you have 400,000 pharmaceutical reps, you know, 30,000 maybe at, at Glaxo and another 30,000 at Sanofi and, you know, 25,000 at Pfizer, right? I mean, once you subtract one, 
you know, I mean, in some cases, like one company is like close to 10% of your TAM, right? Your addressable market. So you would do calls and I mean, some of the customers will just tell you, yeah, we're not switching for whatever reason, right? I mean, there was like, you know, competitor, there was a French competitor that had Sanofi. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, uh, there was a large pharma that built their own solution on force.com. Uh, there was a large pharma that was moving to Oracle CRM on demand, right? So you could look at the addressable market and just be like, all right, these 100,000 seats or so are unavailable, right? And you're rolling out X, Y, and Z here. Your other two products, you know, have no traction. Really, they're teeny. Not even. I wouldn't even call them startups, right? Uh, like uh, they're just incubated. You know, like we're talking like a million, two million dollars in revenue, right? And over time, things would change, right? Like Segadarm sold their business to IMS. All of a sudden, it's no longer owned by a French company. And as soon as that happened, you know, you're like, all right, they could win Sanofi. And you started to think about that. Uh, you saw a couple other ones switch who had told you that they wouldn't. You're like, well, you know, we tried to do this and then we just decided to go this way, right? Or we went with them in this market, we were gonna stay with so-and-so in this market, but it just made more sense to standardize, right? So that starts changing your thesis somewhat. and. By the time I went long in early 2016, I mean, like I'd already highlighted that like I expected like it, the Sanofi news hadn't even happened yet, right? But I was just like, okay, I expect them, expect Sanofi to go. So let me add those seats. Uh, I know so-and-so is probably going as well based on some conversations I've had. And then I started looking at this, you know, enterprise content management and I saw them get a couple early wins and uh, when Dell announced it was buying EMC, that kind of opened up the floodgates because Documentum became a non-strategic asset. So, I mean, long story short, right? Like, I I don't think till till early sixteen was that, like did I personally get to like kind of like a consensus? Okay, that these these are the names that are going to win, right? I mean, that was also the time that, you know, I, like Atlassian was the, the only time I bought a SaaS name long on IPO, right? Because that was like one that came out and I was like, all right, this is, this is a clear winner. Uh, I'm willing to pay up a premium here, even though I'm of the typical viewpoint that like you wait six months. And by the way, had I done that, that would have been the better way to go, right? I mean, that's almost proven to be like the, the best winners if you look at it. I mean, Cloudflare and Datadog are our end of 2019 IPOs, right? And you, you can make the case that end of 2019 was in of itself uh, uh, a distressed moment per se or whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, the last time you really got a, 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 a really good opportunity to buy SaaS stocks cheap because of a you know a short-term dislocation right like the the entire sector kind of took a pounding 
but it took a pounding within the context of kind of unanimous agreement that these are the winners, right? Wasn't, you can't compare it to, you know, some of the, the volatility that had occurred at different points in the previous decade, particularly in like, you know, I'd say 2016 is kind of a turning moment, right? Like that's when the space really had kind of washed out. Uh, maybe you could even say illogically. And that really set up the, the sweet spot of, of the next four years. Um, but you didn't, you, you didn't have to be a genius, right? Like you're going to get rewarded for taking risks. Okay. Uh, if there's, I mean, uncertainty, right. Is going to deliver you higher returns. If it proves out right. Because that uncertainty is like, is why Salesforce didn't invest in your company yet. Why Oracle didn't acquire it yet. Right. At these really low multiples. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what kind of sets up the narrative uh, for, for a secular era. It, it just kind of, it plays itself out because there was healthy skepticism. But at the end of the era, right, like, you know, you, you have 50 SaaS IPOs and you have people looking and, you know, every company doing a presentation when they go public or that's already public saying that, you know, this is our recurring revenue, right? And investors searching for recurring revenue businesses, right? Because they just determined that that gets a premium. Because you started out with these these early businesses, and I mean, it's just like you know, the energy space hasn't been rewarded for capex uh, because nobody's excited about exploration and finding new oil <laughs> and deploying it. And that's hurt their stock prices, right? And they've kind of had to change, you know, the way they allocate capital uh, in, in, in the software space. And, you know, if you, if you announce that you're converting something to recurring revenue, you get a multiple premium, right? Like if you're going through X, Y, and Z transition, all of a sudden people get excited. Even though like you could just say like, I mean, in many cases, you're cannibalizing your existing customer base and just trying to retain them, right? In a conversion. It's not like, a, it's, not, it's, not, it's not new business. I mean, potentially over, over a long time, superior economics, right? But I mean, when I think of SaaS cloud, I, I think of the advantages it gives technologically, not like that it's just, you know, a subscription and, uh, you're on a contract, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking an upfront licensing fee and, and getting paid maintenance and support, right? Like maintenance and support is to me still like subscription revenue, right? It's recurring revenue. <laughs> but like actually being in cloud and having to con continuously deliver the software and like, you know, let's call it, I mean, it used to be called kind of, you know, network software. It has to talk to everything else, right? APIs, integrations, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and you're not waiting for version 2.6 to ship uh, 18 months later on this kind of like monolithic upgrade. You're, you know, got this microservices architecture and you're, 
you're adding incrementally. Features, integrations, and so on and so forth, right? Like your body of, of whatever it is you're selling is, is probably continuously expanding into adjacencies. Like that has been a theme which changed everything about how software is delivered. Like, but like, you know, in, in 2022, like that's nothing new, right? So like, I don't go look searching for just a recurring revenue business because that happened. So getting back to 2020. I don't really answer the question, but like, uh, <laughs> I feel like we went on a tangent. But well, I, I was like our, our our starting point was very simply put that you, you you were rewarded for a leap of faith if you bought some of these names in 2012. Okay. And for those of us who followed what was happening, you know, quarter to quarter to quarter, uh, like it, it it was an evolution, right? You didn't get to the point we're at today where I don't think there's any name we discuss. I mean, there's some where there's some, you know, competitive narratives now where, you know, and that's kind of been the case since 19, where like a new startup is essentially competing against the, not a legacy on-premise software company, uh, but another SaaS, right? SaaS Wars, as we've called that, the name of the, 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 that space in the Slack, right? And, uh, like you get these, these you know pockets of you know Slack versus Teams, Teams versus Zoom, you know GitHub, GitLab, uh, Bitbucket, uh, Service Desk, uh, uh, Service Now. I mean, uh, Asana, Monday.com, right? Like. Uh, what solution are you going with for, for anything? And, you know, a lot of the legacy guys, you know, upgraded, like in CPAS, everyone's now like, you know, here's our API first, right? Uh, where Twilio is not as special, they're trying to make the argument and it's, it's a different ball game. And you have a cadre of investors who, thanks to COVID, right? Uh, and the general boost that the the whole let's call it the, the rising tide for all boats and and software just buy these names and crowding into them and willing to pay any price you know and they start driving the multiples up to the point where things get silly at the end right and that's when you start seeing more and more and more and more IPOs right? And the VCs are exiting and everybody's getting their liquidity and names who really haven't earned the hard way, like the, uh, you know, the work days and nows, right? Start trading at like aggregate valuations, you know, market caps that exceed the incumbents who did the hard work, right? Because everyone starts extrapolating things that are even more aggressive from a growth standpoint. And you start hearing things like, yeah, yeah, this is a, a winner takes most market, right? And you just you got you gotta you gotta ride X, Y, and Z in this, X, Y, and Z in that. And 
And that's how you end up with 100 times sales. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, that's how it happens for these types of established businesses. Right? Because this is not like buying uh, some, you know, EB pre-revenue. Right? Like you only get excited about a software name once it has Fortune 500 customers and this rule of 40 and dollar-based retention rates above X, Y, and Z, you know, north of 130%. And, you know, start doing all the metrics and payback period on customer acquisition and so on and so forth, right? Like that's when you want to buy it, right? If you come up with a few IPO a name right now and are just like, oh yeah, yeah, this is a service now killer. This is a work day killer, right? And it has 25 million in revenue. You're going to have a lot of people who are going to be like, yeah, no way. They're going to be doing the same thing that you were doing in, in 2012, 13, and 14. They're going to talk to customers and the customers are going to be like, eh, no, we're not switching. <laughs> you know, like we just went all in on X, Y, and Z. You know, this idea like we're an Oracle shop or an IBM shop, like that's the way it's become with a lot of these, these names, right? Like we're a Zoom shop or a Microsoft Office shop or a Slack shop, whatever, right? So I think that's where, like, that's where we, like, we found ourselves uh, in the summer. I mean, like, despite this drawdown, you know, people, people still, I mean, this goes back to the multiples that, that names are at, like, people are still kind of dismissing the fact that you did really well in these names, <laughs> you know, in a very short time period. Like, what isn't up in, in, in a lot of these names uh, 100%? Right. I mean, like, it's funny with some of them, you have to actually really catch it early. Right. I mean, like, if you actually look at it now, if you've held Twilio since that, like, mid May point, right after that earnings, you know, were long, where it took off, that it had like one quarter before COVID started that was sloppy. They had like some billing issues and like a mistake and uh, kind of a messy conference call. And it had kind of somewhat deviated from the group. Uh, and you were able to buy it below 100. And it was kind of what you want to call it in the penalty box, right? Um, for some execution, you know, you could, you, could, you could say very, very, very in, well, not necessarily pre COVID, but. Uh, a pre-COVID misstep that uh, maybe COVID, you can say, completely changed it. <laughs> I mean, clearly it did. They're, they're a huge winner. But like before COVID, you were willing to allow that for the price you were getting in at. And that like, that was part of the thinking that like the very next quarter would be good. And the very next quarter also caught COVID, right? the first quarter of COVID and that ended up being, you know, fantastic. And, uh, but like, you know, for someone like me who exited right around then, uh, I'm looking back at it today. I mean, you made like 10%. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the chart, there's that huge jump in that may, what would have been a may report. And yeah, I mean, for the next year, I found it annoying because remember, like we go buy Slack and PagerDuty and, all this other crap uh, that caused nothing but stress, 
And, you know, that thing just kept going up, right? It was, it was much like Zoom, you know, called them similar things. They went, they went ballistic, uh, you know, through the summer and into the fall. And they became market darlings. I mean, there's just no denying that. And that's where, you, where we ended up, you know, we had that podcast with uh, the cap and, and Justin. And, you know, I was, I was giving shit about the valuation between Atlassian and, and Twilio. And like, why wouldn't you sell all your Twilio and buy Atlassian? Um, and, you know, these, like, you know, we went through this whole era of relative, relative arguments in the sector, right? With a general assumption that the sector in of itself mm, doesn't experience some sort of notable multiple contraction. But if it does, you know, try to lose as, as little as possible if you can be a, a good stock picker with, with a margin of safety. And I mean, that's kind of, you know, 2021 has been like, you know, since the back half, just an exercise in uh, slow, slowly deteriorating, right? The multiple in the sector till we hit this, uh, I'd say since no, early November, right? Things got bad and then you had a bit of a bounce, you know, at the end of the year, which left, I mean, I would say that, by the way, that bounce at the end of the year, you know, like it may have been hard to sell in September, October for some people, right? Or, or or dial it down, but the setup at the end of December was just like there was there was such relative performance var variance between names that like if you owned a name at seventy five times sales and you know you now had Zoom at ten x right like that's where I feel uh, this the violence of this recent move has come from right. Because you, you ended up having such huge disparity between what had remained, you know, what had in fact gotten more crowded by the virtue of, of some names starting to experience notably like the, the DocuSign moment, Zoom, Peloton, you know, uh, Twilio, were all kind of setups for this, right? The names that continued to print what generally people view as uh, bulletproof quarters right uh ended up blowing up because simply simply on sheer valuation just at a hurdle rate right like you can have you can say all you want about zoom you know uh or docusign but once they're at 10 times sales you know you growing 30, 40, 50% faster uh, right now is less relevant when you're trading at 50X. It's, it's, it's not even less relevant, it's irrelevant. And that's kind of what you've seen happen. We used to talk, I mean, we talked to that about the, a lot, the sort of magic number, whether it was 30% growth or whatever it was where you would like the, 
there was quite a stretch in there where, you know, we often talked about it from the perspective of PagerDuty, where the names that were getting 30% plus or whatever the threshold was, were getting the 20x, 30x plus multiples. And then if you were just at 20 or 25, there was like a big gulf. And I think what you're arguing now is that the gravity is going to pull more towards, and maybe that's because the Zooms, the DocuSigns that you mentioned are not upstarts. They're pretty established in this newer cohort, but that the gravity is now kind of going to be more on the slower but steadier grow, steady growing names as compared to the rocket ships given. I'm not even arguing it happened, right? Like, let's not kid ourselves at this point. I mean, it's not just the software sector and what fintech, you know, so the, the uh, social media and like streaming, uh, you, you, you know, how essentially what was the equivalent of a bubble and a pop, right? And we can sit here and like, uh, you know, I posted that tweet, which I like, and I've, I've discussed this with several friends where I'm just like, you know, what do you think is the reason Peloton is, is completely flat to slightly down throughout, over the entire pandemic? You know, did it start at a hot, did it start at a bubbly valuation? I mean, it did IPO just before COVID. Was that it? Do you just want to blame it on its missteps, you know, since August? Do you want to make the case that like, you know, it overshot on the way up and, you know, because it stopped growing, uh, it's overshot on the way down. Right. Like the, like when we talk about open up, right. Like, I mean, I'm positioned away from all this stuff and have been, you know, for a few months. Right. So like when we talk about open up crowding in certain names, for example, uh, like do people just has COVID created enough volatility that like you didn't want to own uh, a huge slice of the economy and you overpaid for another slice of it. Right. And then you're kind of flipping that. Like you, you know, Zoom and Peloton uh, are good businesses. And you think that they'll generally do fine over several years and they'll continue to grow. But like you'd just rather be in something else for the next six months because you don't like you expect, you know, negative growth or, or a negative relative growth, right? And you don't expect anybody else and what has become a momentum market, right? To want to own any of that. So you all head for the door. You find something else that's going to do better in 2022, right? Until that stuff gets too expensive, you know? And uh, you tell yourself you'll come back and you'll own this later. Just not right now. Right. And like that can lead to this, like this extreme swing, you know, I mean, it's a good setup. If like you had no exposure to any of this and you're starting today on day one, then go in and buy some of them. Right. But if you're someone who's looking for the best place to be for, you know, the next 12 months, you know, you want to own other stuff. I mean, I see that you just did, you know, a, a mince mire on shipping and, Mm -hmm. 
there's a there's people now who are making like you know the arguments that you know come to my sector right like whether it's the value guys or well energy uh, especially yeah. energy guys you know we have uh energy dudes who pop onto spaces consistently you know they're every every segment has their own maxi right so i think the lesson in what's happened here is look if you're going to own these names and they're going to compound at the rates that they're compounding at for a long cycle you have to accept the fact that at the very end of it you're going to take a 50 percent haircut probably because that's like the very nature of a cycle being so successful leads to the you know herd mentality leads to the, the multiple expansion uh, then leads to the wave of supply which then leads to kind of you know the everyone trying to get out at the same time for whatever reason that's kind of you know the nature of, of bubble dynamics at the end of uh, at the end of like let's call it a thematic wave i mean you can say arc is experiencing that problem for example right like everyone's so really focused on their portfolio and but i mean if if you just own one slice right and everybody starts to over allocate it to it it's going to be no surprise that like there's going to be a period at the very end where like if you've consistently outperformed everything else that you you should be prepared if you're going to take that strategy you know if you're going to own 12 SaaS stocks right considering how they how they perform uh it's no different than like i mean than really owning one name for for most of the time i mean you can get very unlucky right buying one outlier name particularly now with so many but for the most part uh your performance was driven you know over a long enough time period uh by the way the group is valued I mean, there's slight deltas and what you paid at valuation and you know if you if you bought salesforce sorry if you bought service now on day one and 12 times sales but you you know six months later as enthusiasm had built and it came public with some all-star management and in, in, in the founders of peoplesoft uh you paid uh you know 4x that uh for workday right like I mean, the disparity in the performance between a workday shareholder and a ServiceNow shareholder because of that difference in those six months and how they were valued is, is huge over a 10-year time period, right? Like, workday stock is, you know, it, you, you would have bought it for $50, roughly speaking, on the first day. It's like 250 today. And Salesforce, uh, at ServiceNow, you would have bought like, you know, 25 bucks. It's 500 right they went public very similar revenue basis maybe like 80 to 100 million delta between the two of them and you know service now slightly bigger today uh, in terms of the uh, scale but that i mean like that proved to be a big deal right now if you paid a hundred bucks for now at IPO, that would have been you know roughly in the vicinity of what you were paying for for Workday initially. Your returns kind of look the same. 
right? So $100 stock to $500, $50 stock to $250. So I, it, it's, it's very hard to read like a lot of these, you know, Amazon fell this percentage and look at it today and so-and-so fell. It's like, yeah, but no. Like, <laughs> what are you trying to do when you're investing in this stuff? Are you trying if you're if you're looking to really outperform the market, uh, then you have to be really sensitive to what you pay, or you're gonna end up with you know Crocs being where it's at and and you know having been like more than a ten x and trading at ten times earnings, right? And Peloton trading where it's at under COVID, and, you know having had. No, no shareholder value creation. Like, I, there's definitely a lot of. I mean, let's say what's happened in in energy and then cyclicals and shipping and uh, and fertilizer. I mean, it's a huge outlier event, right? Like, but the over earning so significant uh, that you still own names at decent valuations, if not attractive, after huge compounding, right? That's just not been the same case with a lot of the stuff in growth tech. Well, and to your, you know, just thinking quickly on that point to conversation with Jay, he made the point that this makes more sense for a shipping company than a growth tech company, but also the balance sheet effects of having, you have this sort of flood of cash for a year or two and it allows you to either return capital or to clean up your balance sheet or whatever and so there's that fundamental effect but i wonder but that space was that space had its bubble right like you know mince meyer comes into that space after the bubble pop right right we're like talking I, about oh eight oh eight oh nine in that space not even oh eight like it's like you had another move through 2010 like the, like they actually came back better than most things, you know, after global financial crisis, uh, really quickly on the, you know, what's called the, the global stimulus and the, the, and the quantitative easing that started then. Uh, but they had been over-investing. Well, I mean, you, you can say investing, and then it turned into over-investing. And, uh, and then things got, you know, really out of hand. Uh, from a supply standpoint, with respect to capacity, and that set up, you know, like I mean, it literally took five to eight years to cycle through that mess, right? And like you didn't really start feeling it till you know fourteen on. So I mean, these these companies, you know, started moving in a let's call it clean up the mess direction, I'd say from like 17 to 20, right? So like that was a horrible time to want to be a shareholder because it, like it was just about survival, okay? So by the time COVID gets, you know, arrives, like, you know, you're, you're three years through restructuring, you know? So yeah, I mean, everything kind of just falls to the bottom line instantaneously and you're all very financially healthy with just off, off, you know off of one year now yes it was it was such an outlier event but it turned all their fortunes 
Right. Yeah, it can ha- still have a fundamental legacy. The what I wonder about it was we we talked about we've talked in the past joked about how it feels sometimes like actual stock picking is swamped by factor exposure and really you just need to figure out what factor you're in. And so I think one of the things you know, and this more obvious, I guess, for a momentum investor, but there's one idea of like, you know, you just kind of keep moving to where the ball is moving. And then you just kind of keep following the ball and hope that you keep it in the air long enough. And that's probably one style. And then another style amidst all of this is you just hope that within you pick which factors, I don't know, even know if we think about it this way, but you pick factors, which you have exposure to, and you just hope that you're getting incrementally more out of your factor than uh like and to use travel as an example like i was just looking at airbnb and booking for the last year where valuation again is i think the deciding factor because airbnb has had a really strong year as a company they're the you know their type of travel came back a lot faster they surpassed they set a new record quarter in q3 but i if i saw the chart right that stock is basically flat for the year after their huge ipo last year um whereas booking still you know i i know you're long i'm long like still has plenty to look forward to is expecting a big year but like they didn't come go as far on their recovery road and partly it's what you can price in for forward growth, but also the valuation was just so much and the profitability. And so like just trying to, within that reopen trade, for example, trying to find the, you know, that's like you have the exposure to the factor, but then it's still the old stock picking game of best risk reward you can find and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, look, you have, you have the benefits of concentration if you're going to ride a cycle, right? If you're tiger global and this is all you've owned and you're crushing it, like who cares if you give it back 50% at the end, right? Uh, it's important to get that cycle right though. You know, that's the hardest thing. And that like, <laughs> 0.0001%, you know, are actually going to get it right on that scale. Uh, if you're going to have a 10-year run, you're not going to find any person at the end of that 10-year run who's going to think that what he was doing had a huge component of luck. I mean, some will maybe, right? But it's very hard to get up and leave the table because like, it's work. And it's work consistently you know, for 10 years. Right now, history tells you that there's a point in time that will arrive where you should get up and leave the table, right? And what you're doing will not work going forward, and you need to change. I mean, that's why it's really impressive when you look at these guys who generate performance, you know, over 20 years or 30 years. And they've been able to navigate all this, you know, like, an, like a Buffett who he manages to miss Microsoft and miss Google, right? But he's still there to get paid off massively as the provider of liquidity in the financial crisis. 
right, at the end of it. And he's still there to, to, to you know, to buy Apple when he determines it's just a huge slice of the economy, right? And it's like his Coca-Cola from the 80s now, right? Like, for those guys to do what they do over, you know, those time periods, they're, they're risk managers, right? Uh, at, at the key moments. Now, that's the exact opposite of the concentrated folks, right? They're going to miss that cycle. Maybe they'll outsource a little bit. Like, the, you know, in a cycle like that, by the way, like, you know, the 90s and uh, now recently the last 10 years, like, even though they don't own the sweet spot, they clearly get a trickle-down effect, right? Now, they may end up owning some assets that go into the dumpster, you know, like that just are, are on love for the next 10 years, right? Uh, and that's what we've seen, like, let's call it in the commodity space, in the cyclical space. Mm. But it's that rotation kind of at the end. And like the, the, tel- the, the signs for it, I mean, I, I personally think couldn't be more clear, particularly if you look at the history, right? I mean, you have a huge wave of IPOs and you have a lot of people thinking that buying a consensus winner at X, Y, and Z is, is, is what you should be doing to get the performance of, you know, the Shopify's, right? Yeah, you, you pick enough winners and two or three will outride everything else you do. Yeah. When in fact, you're kind of, you're upside down at that point. That's where you get these portfolios that own, you know, 20 of the same stocks and they have no other industry. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and, and you know, it's like this, this pain in the market will end in the next month. And I'm like, what pain in the market? <laughs> you know, like, it's not like everything is going down. Uh, yes, if you own five of the same stock, it feels that way, right? But I mean, I'm, like, I'm just looking today, I mean, what? Financials are up. Right, the financials have done well. You know, you have these, like, these names in the commodity space continue to be, you know, all right. And there's names in tech that are doing fine, too, that, let's just say, are, are Garpy. Right. I mean, if you look at stuff and like, you know, the contract electronics, the manufacturing names, uh, you know, the the boring old school uh, OEMs. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that have worked because, I mean, kind of like uh, kind of like Microsoft, Adobe, et cetera, you know, seven, eight years ago, no one's wanted to own them. They just like. You know, you can buy stocks, you can buy technology companies and infrastructure at, you know, eight to to 15% free cash flow yields. That, thank you Uh, for sharing my VMware thesis. That's basically. Yeah. I mean, look, VMware is is kind of a poster child for a reinvented name where it was like, it was, it was the snowflake of its time when it IPO'd. Right. And 
you know, five really strong years and then five years where things kind of shifted away from it. But it's generated a ton of cash throughout that entire cycle. I mean, in the time period, I think it took I, th- I think it took VMware eight years to generate free cash flow equivalent to uh, its enterprise value on its first day of trading. Right. I mean, it, it was a huge generator throughout that time, and even there, you know, the the compounding has been kind of inferior because things moved away at the end and you know started growing at like ten percent. That's when you look at these names and you say, you know, 10 years forward, like, what am I underwriting? That's what a buy and holder should be thinking, right? Otherwise, you're testing yourself on when you're going to sell. Well, and I think I agree with you. And I think that's, I try to buy and hold, you know, I think I'd rather not have to make as many decisions. I like, I ha- I'm a disciplined person. That part is not hard for me, but you tell me what's going to happen in 10 years. And I just, maybe it's because I'm too much of a generalist as a person or whatever else. I just, I always appreciate, but like Marvel also at the people who are confident that. Dude, that's why it's bullshit. Like you can't, like it's not, (laughs) nobody actually had like, you know, Steve Jobs didn't buy any more shares of Apple. Don't forget. I'm always a diplomat. I'm always uh, reserved. He He sold every share he got, but one in the next deal and the entire time was going up. He didn't pick like his own money out of his pocket and, uh, you know, or lever up to go acquire a ton of it or convince Larry Ellison uh, to buy the whole company and, and uh, uh, give him 20% of it. You know, I mean, like these are all things that had been tossed around at different points in time. Uh, I mean, Elon was, was looking for buyers, you know, that less than a year before, Tesla went to the moon, right? So uh, it it's so uncertain that it's it's beyond ridiculous to talk ten years. Like you know, one or two years is hard. Uh, and like these things are out of your control. I mean, like that, that's without question for for the operators that like they're going to do what they're going to do. But what's in your control as an investor is what you pay for it, right? And, you know, you don't, you, you don't end up with Microsoft returns paying 100 times sales for Microsoft. You know, you end up with subpar returns. And the important thing is paying for Microsoft, right? Like you're not buying like some controversial name that everyone doesn't agree upon, right? You're buying a name that now has agreement. And it's just a question of, you know, how long does it grow uh, and how consistently? Maybe as a last question, and obviously we'll get into more, you know, we've talked a ton about travel, talks, you've, you've sort of offhand, any, any other place that you think is interesting, something that you think we'll t- be talking more about, like a little... Any other sector that amidst all this is standing out for you? I mean, I think a lot of the infrastructure in tech is still a good argument. Network infrastructure, you know, uh, the, the service providers, uh, CapEx cycles, uh, some stuff in the semiconductor space off of that still. 
you know, even though like that sector is is tough. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I think a theme around business is just generally being techified, right? Is uh, like something people should consider. I mean, like everyone is employing technology, right? Like there's no customer if you're not using these things for productivity. So like when John Deere is talking about the precision agriculture and, you know, companies like Caterpillar and, uh, you know, McDonald's is digitizing and, you know, Starbucks and these names, uh, you have a lot of people who look at things today and are like, well, we expanded the TAM, right? COVID, remote work. And uh, that should get a higher multiple. And like, I've been having, like, you know, responding to some of these tweets where I'm trying to make the point that a pull forward is a pull forward, right? You grow faster, you will eventually grow slower because you had an external shock, right? You've accelerated and an acceleration leads you to compound significantly, right? If you buy a, if you, if you buy a company before COVID and you double in 12 months, or 18 months, but revenues are up like, you know, 40% at an annualized rate. And you went from, you know, going 25% to going 45%, right? Uh, you should come out on the back half of that being kind of sensitive to where your multiple is going to be compared to before it. Because if you actually just grow, go back to growing 25% off of that base, that's now expanded and, you know, let's call it you double your revenue in two years, right? Um, that's still a very impressive longer-term feat, right? Now, the discounting mechanism will tell you that you're likely to have some sort of one-piece scenario where you slow down somewhat because you had such a huge surge, right? And then you find some sort of new normalized baseline, right? So you look at a company and you say, it's going to cagger 30% over 10 years. If it caggers, you know, a hundred percent for the first two of those, right? Like you're looking at, you know, a mid teens for the remaining eight years. Okay. So the person who bought it in that hundred percent two year time period, like he doesn't need any multiple expansion. He can own the same valuation stock, right? on a sales multiple uh, at the end of two years. If it goes up, you know, uh, at 100% CAGR for two years with revenue, grows with revenue, right? And let's say he owned like a, you know, it doesn't have or happen that smoothly, right? But like at the end of the two years, right? You'll be like, oh, I own the same multiple stock, right? And like you're seeing now a lot of people are like, hey, some of these multiples now, are lower uh, than where they were before COVID. It's like, yeah, but you just got a huge, I mean, like you bought Zoom at 66 and it's 170, right? In, in less than two years, that used to be viewed as fantastic return. Okay. <laughs> used so, to be. Now, yeah. So like, this is where you get into the comical element of it. And, you know, Zoom, we, we use it as, as an example. It, it, it had that huge upfront, and then you changed the forward curve, okay? Because it went from like 600 million to 4 billion, 
right? Now there's some names that haven't had that huge variance and like they met, they, they managed to retain uh, uh, or like, let's say even they got huge multiple expansion because like it's more steady and it's like 30, 40%. But like, if you look at those names, like, yeah, you should be kind of sensitive to the fact that, all right, like in the window of COVID, I should have compounded at minimum, you know, with the way revenue grew. Okay. And now I need to ask myself, like, how much has the forward curve changed? Because any large, I mean, COVID is such an external shock, so it is such an outlier event, but any large enough time period, it's going to have something that drives something, right? So, like, you're going to have those, you know, an external positive shock, potentially an external negative shock, but I mean, it, it, it should even out. But in this case, you've had one that's so disproportionately positive, okay, that to assume that you're going to grow in the same way you grew before, you know, off a base that's three times higher from 18 months ago, right? History tells you that's highly unlikely. And that's like what, where you end up with these multiples. I mean, forget the fact that you have a much more competitive environment and so many names and everybody trying the same thing. And, you know, the network dynamic of software, for example, you know, opens the door to the adjacent competitors just rolling in your feature and, you know, delivering it as part of an upgrade option, right? It's just a, as, a, as an add-on in many cases for, for broad suite versus having to sell you something completely new from the ground up. Uh, and I mean, that's where you look at it and you're like, all right, I mean, I can see, I can make a case that, you know, if I went from 1 billion to 4 billion in revenue uh, in 18 months, my expectation is going to be, you know, much, much slower growth off of that base than I was modeling when I bought the name before the start of the cycle with, and did my 10 year DCF, right? You've just kind of, you, you, you've changed the points in time. So you expect it to steadily generate, let's call it that 20% annualized return, right? Maybe a little higher in the front half uh, and trailing off. Like if you were just own it for 10 years and look at it, what, what it looks like at the end of 10 years. But now you change that. You pulled forward a lot of that compounding. And this is the market violently correcting that, right? Because... You, you may have bought a stock that compounded at 50%, but then like it went up 5X. Does that make sense? Are we, are we... Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And I think it's a, it's a good reminder for people because I think we've talked a lot, people who have joined these some of these bull rides on the downside, it gets tempting in a lot of these cases to say, well, look, I'm down 50%, can't go much lower than this. And lose sight of those dynamics of the fact that it went up earlier like it it depending on your time frame zoom is a big winner twilio is a big winner peloton not not a big winner but most of these are still peloton feels like a disaster at this point if you've been long it the whole time right and it's one where you need to ask yourself like did, did, did we start looking at it in the rearview mirror and say 
well, they should have done better, right? Maybe they're just constrained, by the way. Maybe that was part of the biggest problem for them. The supply right? chain stuff there. Yeah, just like not being able to get as many people as you could have got it in that window. And, and uh, those people went looking for other equipment. They went looking for other options. And then they went back to the chip, right? And like, you could make, you could make an argument that, yeah, connected thickness is the future, but you changed so many things that made how that plays out for you more difficult, right? Because you can incrementally have added uh, capacity uh, in a way that maybe benefited your position as the market leader more so than, you know, what happened over those 18 months, right? That's, yeah, I mean, that's funny because that's a theme that we've seen over and over again during this period too, is the, what should look like a no-brainer win for the leader in a space ends up, you know, not, it doesn't always work. I think Zoom, for example, is still really, Microsoft Teams is working, but Zoom seems to me is still the leader. But like, saw it with Slack. Uh, we had another example recently that I'm blanking out on, but like this rush to something like a Peloton attracts, you know, I saw news that Apple released a new Fitness Plus subscription and they're continuing to whether or not that's a real threat, it's like it, it's 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 still business one on one. It's just on hyperspeed. If you have an attractive business and attractive margins and all that, chances are you're going to attract competitors. And COVID has thrust a lot of them into the spotlight really quickly, and and sort of bottlenecked what we can spend our money on, and so. By heart, by focusing the aperture of where people can spend, it also the response from companies. Okay, if that's where we got to compete right now, we got to compete. And yeah, everybody focuses on the same thing, right? I mean, this goes to the argument of what is e-commerce in uh, in a COVID post-COVID world, right? Hasn't everybody essentially digitized themselves from a commerce standpoint? Is there actually now some advantages to the guys who have also a, a physical footprint? You know, we've seen that playing itself out. So, uh, it, you know, is 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 Best Buy in all of like anything now? Between the, the they've done curbside pickup, they've operated their stores with almost minimal employees, right? You're ordering online, picking up in store. Uh, you're ordering online, being having it delivered to you. Like everyone has adapted, right? And that's where you get into these things where that can be kind of a, like the advantage that you had that ha did not force everyone to adapt quickly, right? And like you're, you know, like think of it as that cycle of uh, complacency uh, as Netflix slowly, slowly, you know, crawled its way in the streaming space, right? Without making like just, you know, incrementally adding subscribers without much profitability, right? And then you get the COVID and like, you know, Disney's launching Disney Plus and everyone wants to get start doing this and, and the benefits that are accruing to them are not the same, right? It's like they're kind of just forced into it, right? At the end, you know, and if, if they'd had an event like COVID 10 years ago, Netflix doesn't end up being Netflix. Right. So that's well, when you get into this. That's also a good 
you were talking about the leap of faith element and Netflix obviously for a long time was an expensive stop. Also for a long time at Battleground. Yeah, it was a distressed asset. Right, right. You know, in 2012, right? I mean, literally all, all the names that people look back at and their amazing returns, you know, were distressed assets at one point. You know, Apple was a distressed asset in, in 2000. What's it called? It was a distressed asset. Uh, Amazon. And, yeah. And Amazon. Uh, Netflix, you know, and the transition from DVD to streaming went through a distressed asset standpoint. And they re- reinvented themselves as, you know, guys focused on uh, their own content creation versus uh, licenses of content. And, you know, they determined they needed more and more and more and more. Uh, and even there, I, th- I think what was like the people who, who underestimated their international power, right? Like as that being kind of more greenfield than what was going on in the United States. But yeah, I mean, if you, if you had, you had a reason for everybody on the incumbent model to switch to what you were doing. Remember you're early. That's the whole point, right? Like if you're, if you're a leader in digitization, uh, you're going to accrue the most value over time. Because everyone else switches when it's too late. But if something comes along that forces everyone at the same time, you know, it makes it way more difficult for you. Yeah, totally. Like it's, it's essentially, you know, you're, you're forcing everyone to adopt new productivity, enhancing technology immediately. Right. So it's not like, hey, this company is doing this way better. They're the first ones to get the copier. And then like, you know, what, what, like X, Y, and Z company, uh, Dunder Mifflin, you know, ends up with it uh, five years later, right? And this company starts using email to enhance productivity and uh, these guys are still in the fax machine, right? But like if something happens where it's just like, it's so obvious that you all have to do it for survival. Okay. It erodes some of the edge that would have accrued to the early adopters. Yeah. And I think that's what this period almost as much when we look back, of course, there are going to be some big winners that survived, thrived, move forward. But there's also going to be a lot of stories of companies that actually even though they were in the right place at the right time, will not benefit from COVID as a corporate story because they just it was they weren't quite ready for it or whatever else. Yeah, I mean, this is like what we were thinking about with Slack. You know, this is what you were thinking about with Zoom. Uh, with like something that pulls Microsoft in to your market and makes them give away something for free, and then you know, dedicate resources. I mean, if you look back, uh, you know, Steve, Steve Ballmer had an interview. I've been seeing posts recently where they're like, Satya's created so much more value than, you know, the, uh, not just Ballmer. In the eight years that he's been CEO, you know, CEO he's created, as measured by market cap, obviously, because that's what people look at only, uh, the 39 years of the co-founders, right? And you're just like, ah, you know, I mean, like building the world's most valuable company uh, is the hard part, <laughs> okay? Yes, it's just as hard in, in some instances to pivot it 
at some point in time, but you have a huge margin for error when you have a machine like that, right? You can make a lot of mistakes because you have seemingly infinite resources. And in his case, he was talking about that, like when he, they bought Nokia and like they wanted to focus on devices and he, he had like, he was like, we had our A guys on like Windows Vista, right? The A team, as he liked to call it. And, you know, if he, he was like asked if you could do something differently and he would have just like, I would have, I would have moved the A team onto this. He's still focused on that, right? Because the reality is by the time he leaves, they'd already started the transition for her office, like, you know, in, uh, uh, into cloud since like what, like 2010, 2011, right? Like Azure doesn't become like the monster it is to later, but I mean, that had started in 08, you know, like there was, there was slow initially, but Satya figured it out. And by the time, you know, he took over, you know, he really, he really ramped that up. But I mean, where, where Bomber's head was, was the consumer market, right? And, and the device and the devices game, but like, you know, they were on autopilot on the transition for office 365, you know, which was huge for them. I mean, that's the, you know, the core franchise being protected. Uh, and like, you know, once that's taken, you know, like you, like, you can have a CEO who's dwelling on, on that, right? Even though almost all the value that was created since then comes from those divisions and it kind of proved irrelevant, you know, what ended up happening in devices. And they've gotten better without question in devices. But, I mean, he, he had the opportunity, you know, to screw up several acquisitions. That's not going to be the case for a ton of companies today, right? Like you don't get that shot. And I mean, we saw just recently is like, you know, Zoom should have done something earlier. Then, you know, Zoom has this failed acquisition and, uh, and who knows, I mean, you know, I'm more likely to believe that they figure it out. And uh, I think that there's a herd mentality without question in some of this, but I mean, going back to, like the broader theme in investing, like you, you should have some degree of diversification, right? Like it's been criticized in the past, you know, like, but you're seeing it like COVID has, and this is a theme we focused on, like COVID's created this, like this, you know, almost crazy incentive to, to be thinking about rotating multiple times. There's going to be another batch of COVID winners, by the way, who take a hit, right? Like, because the way COVID has played out, you upgrade your software, you know, you buy new devices, network traffic explodes, right? You upgrade your network infrastructure. Like, it's all a perpetual upgrade cycle, right? And once you, like, once you boost one, like you boost another and you boost another and you boost another. And then like all of them have more volatility than they would have before. And like anybody who's followed the chip space, you know, has gone through this at different times. Like, you know, when something new comes out and uh, like, let's call it like the supercomputer space, like there'll always be like a herd to upgrade. And then there's the occasional cycle that comes after one where there was the herd, right? Where there's 
way lower upgrades. You know, they just they kind of skip it because everyone upgraded at the same time. That's what you should be thinking about from like a from a longer tail standpoint with COVID, right? I mean, you had a lot of people who came out of the gate, and I think they they got what they needed for for collaboration, you know, for business continuity and things early on. And they're going to spend less, and they're going to focus elsewhere. And that's where you actually look start looking at businesses and be like, whose business actually like is transformed by COVID in a way that like is economically incrementally benef- beneficial, right? Like w- when, when you see tech companies talk about so-and-so, you know, Coca-Cola started using this and it generated this ROI, right? Immediately. And it, like, that's what you should be thinking is like, all right, do I go buy Coca-Cola now, right? At like, you know, this earnings yield, right? Uh, do I go buy, you know, it's not public anymore, but Monsanto for precision farming or, or like the new autonomous John Deere, right? Like, is everybody go? Like, is every farmer going to upgrade this? And like, what's these? What do these cycles look like going forward, right? You know, do do you buy McDonald's, who's been forced to deal with these labor shortages and just gotten better and better at using digital and ordering and whatever, right? And then all of a sudden, starts growing earnings a little bit faster than expected, you know. Uh, because margins expand, right? Companies that like auto, like they're automating, you know, not to just survive, but to get more productive and realize the savings and the benefits, right? So, like at the first points in the chain, you buy the company who sells you, you know, uh, the copier, right? Uh, and then you want to buy the company who's like all of a sudden they're you know, their advertising uh, t- department is crushing it because, you know, collaboration and ability to share everything and creativity has gone up. And they, like, that's a, just a pure profit focused business, right? Like, you're not sitting there on like significant R&D uh, for the next iteration. And like, that's how you should be thinking about all tech in, in these waves. Like it should flow throughout the rest of the economy. So if COVID is one of these events where everybody was is forced to adapt, right? Like you're likely the surprises you're gonna find going forward are elsewhere, right? And that's where, like, that's where at the end of it right now, like it feels like the worst market to some people. And I mean, you know, like, I mean, I have five notable longs, and four of them are are up in Q4. And like are are up year to date, also, right? So like, if you think about the fact that they were green in Q4, and uh, they're up year to date, like I I don't look at the market. And by the way, I, I expect that like if we actually get into a more violent drawdown across uh, uh, other names, that like some of that's going to come back, right? But that's like. That's how you want to be positioned. Like you could sit, I could sit today and pick up any one of these names that have been hammered. Uh, it's not hard now, right? I mean, I think that's what that's one important distinction. I don't know how much time you spent listening to people on Spaces and following these guys on Twitter. I mean, what what's happened with this sell off is it's it's brought out like the perma bears, right? 
So the perma bears are now like, you told you you're going to get fucked. Everybody's going to get fucked. Right. And that was sort of uh, what I was saying about the value investors spiking the football. Exactly. Uh, But like, they're saying the same thing the entire time. And I've asked some of these guys, by the way, I'm like, have you ever owned any of these names? Right. Like they will never own these names. Right. Like they're just, I mean, it's very difficult to get them to own certain names. And I mean, that's where I kind of get a little bit of a kick out of this. You know, like, I mean, I've been arguing to, to sell, let alone short, uh, like, you know, all your SaaS names, right? Since let's call it October. Okay. I've been, I've been long, not, I've been nothing but long, right? Like I've been on, I've been on the train the whole time and the train's more fun, right? Like the rocket ships and, uh, you know, like, you know, every time your name dips, we get on, you know, get on Twitter and be like, let's turn it around. Let's go higher. Right. Like, I mean, like, that's literally been the cycle, you know, since March of 2020, you know, and we've gone through some serious headache throughout this, whether it's fucking Twitter or, or Slack or, or PagerDuty or, or, you know, like it, some of it hasn't been easy at times, right? But, I mean, they're not short a single name in the space till, you know, what, three months ago? Like, I mean, when the space really sold off in, in let's call it April, May, right? Like I was in the buying opportunity camp, like everybody else, right? And the higher quality names, but like right before it sold off, I was like, you know what? This is maybe a good time to take, take a little bit off the table. Okay. Uh, de-risk somewhat. Now, you know, by August, September, right? Just like you started to see pretty good evidence of valuations getting really extreme. And like, you're starting to look one and two year forward and you're starting to be like, all right. I mean, like these growth rates are going to slow relative to this acceleration that they just had. And I mean, when you're a long short guy, it's no different, right? Like having shorted names in, in 2014 in software and shorting in 2019, right before COVID, right? Uh, and then going long at the end of it, you know, forget before, before I even got into the page of duty slack, you know, in, in January, February, uh, on turning around short pieces, right. Buying just like the quality ones, like, like zoom and, and, and workday and Salesforce or a distressed one. I mean, I bought service now the day, uh, the CEO stepped down and the thing imploded. I also sold it like, you know, the equivalent of like an hour later. Because it bounced like immediately, right? I mean, you look back on those and like, oh, okay, man, that was just stupid. And I was thinking it was stupid a day later, right? And I'm like, I don't, why am I not holding, <laughs> right? And then like, once it does that, like that precipitated like a lot more of my thinking around the other names to buy in the space. But I mean, when like, yeah, when you're long short and like you're looking for those opportunities where those names get really compelling, like, and that's been something you've been doing recently, you know, over like the last couple of years. It's very different than like the perma bear who like, it's just, they'll never, ever own these names. They're not buying something at 10 times sales. Right. So like scratch off 20 times and 30 times and 40 times. And, you know, like to them, that makes zero sense. Okay. 
so when this happens here, it's like, you know, it's Kathy got it all wrong. It's like, well, not really. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> She's done a fantastic job from a marketing standpoint. Uh, she got concentrated and backed the right horse with Tesla. Like, there's no getting around that. Like, despite all that's happened, that's all she's needed, right? So I think people, you know, but I think you, you, you have some people right now who are like going to revel in, in, this, in what's happened because it's like a vindication of what they've been doing. And, you know, I, I just say to anybody doing that, like, the market shifts, it always shifts. And, you know, nothing works for forever, right? And, like, you can commend the guys who are open-minded. Like, you should be willing to look at things and be like, you know what? All I have is historical data to look at. Like, I can't take it this time is different. And if the historical data tells me uh, I underperform unless I end up getting, you know, the top 0.0001% company, when I pay more than 30 times sales for, you know, a public company level business, right? Not a venture investment. Uh, but, you know, that's a big deal. And if it's, and if I drastically underperform buying the world's greatest companies historically at hundred times sales, you know, right at the start of let's call it their, their, their 10 year cycle, right? Their sweet spot, right? I'm not talking about getting them in the, like some of them, you know, a couple years earlier is a huge difference, right? Like Oracle in 1991, to between 91 and 95, it's a big deal because it really doesn't start ramping its growth. Microsoft was growing like 60%, you know, in, in 1991, right? And like it would continue to grow voraciously for the next 10 years. Uh, but like, like the person who bought Oracle in 91, I mean, destroyed the person who bought Microsoft in 91 uh, because, you know, one wasn't growing. But like, you don't, like, people don't crowd around what's not growing, right? Like we, we had somebody make the comparison that, well, you could have paid a huge multiple for NVIDIA in 15. And I was like, who pays a huge multiple for zero revenue growth? <laughs> right? It's a pointless exercise. Like you take this exercise and you do it with service now growing at 100%, workday growing at 100%, Splunk growing at 100%, and what people paid then. You know, Atlassian growing at 40%, right? Like that's how you do it. And I mean, even for, for, for a few of those names, they did not have top customers, you know, a real significant scale yet, right? In some cases. So like give it a couple of years. But like, yeah, Salesforce is being a classic one, right? Like the difference between buying Salesforce in early 2009 uh, when it's growing subscription revenue and it crosses a billion uh, and like two years later in your, in your returns is huge, right? Because it had like a distress multiple, I mean, two times sales, you know, at, at the financial crisis lows for a company growing, notably, right? And like that just normalized back to what people would pay for a growth stock that's growing that way really quickly. And that created a huge performance opportunity. 
you subtract that and things start getting, you know, historically comparable to just about anything else. I mean, people have kind of mocked the old uh, uh, Sun Microsystems CEO. Yeah. Uh, Scott McNeely. And I mean, maybe for some businesses, uh, it doesn't make sense to make that argument, but because there's been such a focus on venture. But yeah, like if you're a scale business, it's hard to beat that multiple, particularly if you're doing a decent amount of, uh, of hardware revenue as they were. But I mean, this is like, you know, we're, here we are talking high level stuff. Like, I mean, I would not be surprised to see a lot of the most hammered names, you know, have huge surges. Okay. But I mean, as someone who shorted some of these, and you know, I've been thinking about covering some uh, today because this week has just been outrageous. Uh, I do, I do think going forward mm, that I'd rather stay the course, you know, in like things like booking, for example, or Boeing, right? Because things did get really extreme, you know. I mean, I've had this conversation with the SAS bros, right? And I'm just like, guys, I mean, like, you know, you could, you could, you could like skip a coin, you know, the puddle and, and, and hit, you know, a $60 billion software company, right? And Boeing, Boeing's at a hundred billion, right? And I mean, yes, it's a better business, uh, you know, from, uh, from a balance sheet, you know, cash flow, capital intensity, uh, let's call it economic risk standpoint. But I mean, there are two, there's two companies in global aviation, right? And like when I when when I take all the names in software, uh, you know, that are in that like let's call it tier one of growth, and like it was like they're not going to generate the same cash flow in aggregate, you know, as this company and they're worth like over a trillion dollars like that's kind of that's just an imbalance right and there's not much else to say like if i can if i can throw a cloud player and a mongodb together and they're worth more than a boeing yeah maybe over 10 years uh you know they they earn those valuations okay and that proves to be a big deal but like you know, before the plane crashes, you were like on what, like an 18 billion uh, operating cash flow run rate for Boeing, right? I mean, you're oversimplifying things, but you know what? At points like this, you should, okay? You really should just look at it and be like, what is this as a slice of the economy, right? And there's a hundred names that you just start looking at and like, you know, you shouldn't be surprised once Home Depot and Lowe's, you know, uh, continually outperform you, <laughs> you know. They, they, they managed to retain a duopoly uh, in, the, in, in their sector. It's just, I mean, these are the types of things where, you know, you, you, you don't have to get too cute. Now, I, I mean, I think Home Depot's valuation is... is <laughs> At this point, excessive, right? 
And I think there's some names where you have to start asking yourself that question as well from COVID, right? Like there's a bunch of COVID winners. Uh, Outside of tech, like Costco, I was thinking Yeah, they're going to see like, like you could legitimately say they're going to see negative earnings growth, right? Uh, For a year or who knows. But I'm not going to sit here and try to figure out which ones are which. But I mean, that's where the, the, the value comes in and, in being kind of diversified, like owning different slices of the economy. Uh, and we've seen like, that's, that's been an ongoing exercise throughout this, you know, this year. I think if there's anything, this year has been more focused on that. And the reaction to Omicron kind of tells you that too, right? Because they've been violent. The open up stocks have gone through, like they've, you know, they've gone through a couple rallies and puked up their gains really quickly. You know, so the point is, like, I mean, if you bought most of these names at the start of last year, you did nothing, right? I mean, flat still better than down forty percent, uh, but if you bought them uh, to hold for twenty twenty two, as I did in August, you know, you're you're up in Q four and and you're up year to date, right? Nothing spectacular, by the way, you know. But from a risk management standpoint, better. Like you didn't have to get too creative, and like you're still sitting around, and you're gonna, like you, you, you think you bought. I mean, not necessarily even you think you bought names where you expect 2022 to be better than 2021. Right. Yeah, I think and that's. And I don't safe. know how many. I don't know how many companies in, in tech you can say that for. Like, take the fans. I don't know what the stock, like, you know, I have some views, but uh, the operating businesses are not going to do better in 2022 than they did in 2021, right? Google's not going to grow operating income 100% this year. Uh, Google, uh, Facebook, uh, Apple are not going to have, you know, 40, 50% revenue growth this year, right? I mean, they're all going through major step down on the top line. Yeah. And and on the bottom line as well. I mean, and Facebook's told you, you know, we're going to, here's our CapEx plans for next year and our operating expenses. You know, you can extrapolate what you want on revenue, right? But like, it seems to imply almost uh, best case scenario of essentially flattish operating income. Like that's what this, that, that seems to be their model. I'm sure because he's shareholder sensitive, Zuck finds a way to uh, spend less and deliver a little bit more. Uh, from what he's what he's told you at the start of the year, but I mean, he's telling you don't expect earnings growth next year. You know, like that's not our focus. So, like you've got kind of like you know that that's a pretty big theme for names that had huge years. I mean, Microsoft is going to grow earnings, of course, yes, and like they're going to grow revenues probably like fifteen percent. Uh, but you know. It's up like 55% in 12 months. So, you know, yeah, you, again, it's, it's the same calibration yeah. that we were talking about earlier. So, um, all right. Well, why don't we wrap it there? Uh, it's a good sort of temperature check on where we are. I think there's a lot of threads that I think we can t- pick up next time, other sectors to th- talk about or other opportunities. Uh, 
But this, given tech has been such a focus and SaaS such a focus for so long, it's kind of yeah, good. I mean, I've to... got some stuff I'm excited about right now, but you know, like I've shared them with subscribers, so I kind of would feel bad just giving it away. <laughs> yeah, I think we. I think. Yeah, I think we can figure it's out been way. a while since I've really been excited about my positioning as I have been. Uh, so, like, you kind of get the, you know, when you hit that that point in time where you start really feeling good about uh, a thesis, and I found like a couple I really. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about, but like, you know, let's wait and see how they play out. Nothing wrong with that. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll still find. I'm. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that we can still dig into without giving away way too much. But yeah, this is a good place to start. So good stuff, and uh, let's keep the keep the conversation going from there. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.